Did you know that not all zirconia is the same? Zircad Prime Zirconia from Ivoclar is uniquely produced with GT technology, which allows two powders that normally center at different intervals to be combined into one material which centers uniformly. The manufacturing process not only optimizes the translucent properties, but also creates a seamless progression of shade while maintaining optimal strength. Zircad Prime and Prime Aesthetic is now more affordable than ever and will give you the results that your dentist will notice. Contact us today to learn more about Zircad Prime and how Ivoclar can support your success. Tell them you heard it on the podcast and get a free Prime or Prime Aesthetic disc to try. Just use promo code 723. For all this information, visit the Ivoclar tab on the Voices from the Bench website. This is Laura Gilbert, Director of Technical Marketing at Ivoclar, wishing you a successful 2024. Welcome to Voices from the Bench, a dental laboratory podcast. Send us an email at info at voicesfromthebench.com and follow us on Facebook and Instagram. Greetings and welcome to episode 309 of Voices from the Bench. My name is Elvis. And my name is Barbara. What's happening, Barb? How are you? Well, you and I both know we're recording this Monday night, and it's the day before I leave for Chicago, so I'm super psyched. I got a lot to do. I got to get packed. I got to get ready, but I'm ready to go, and I'm really psyched. Yeah, same. I haven't even started packing, (laughs) and I'm leaving like the day after tomorrow. But yeah, just by the time everyone listened to this episode last weekend was LMT Lab Day Chicago. Barb and I would love to tell you all about it and how great of a time we had. Like we mentioned, we're recording this long before Barb and I go out there for five days because we don't want to have to worry about getting an episode out on Monday. Which, you know what? We're pretty darn consistent, so that's pretty impressive if you ask me. We haven't missed it in 309 weeks. You know it. (laughs) Not going to let a little Lab Day get in the way. That's right. So... We're hoping everybody had a fantastic time. They did. Yeah, of course we did. And social media was filled of all the great pictures. Know it. Can't wait to actually do it. (laughs) And thank you to everybody that stopped by or will stop by to the Ivacar Ballroom and to the Cal Lab night. Say hi to us and tell us about your amazing life as a dental technician. Stay tuned. Yeah, we'll have a ton of great interviews that we got while we were in Chicago. And Elvis might give me a Friday off because he'll be so happy and not stressed because he's got like five full hours, hopefully more. Hopefully more. A lot more. So this week I had the opportunity to talk to a lab owner out of Florida. Oh, man. Yep. That has a unique look at getting new employees. Now, Barb, I believe this was the day your lab lost internet. Dude, we lost everything, not just internet to like hardcore, so yeah. It was not a good day. Let's just say your priorities were elsewhere. Yeah, unfortunately, because they're always with the podcast. Of course, of course. But I already moved this one like twice for my own purposes, and I didn't want to move it again, so. Understood. John Reno's father started delivering cases by train in Argentina at a very young age. Eventually, his dad learned the craft and moved to Canada. Now, John, he grew up in his dad's lab. And at 14, he started to seriously look at being a dental technician and started doing the usual tasks of someone that wants to learn the trade. Yeah, making model patties. Oh, there's a lot of that. Packing cases, (laughs) breaking things up, sweeping floors. Oh, yeah. And his dad was early into doing all-on-X conversions. And it's hilarious that John was thrown into doing his first conversion on a birthday. Good for him. Hey, trial by fire. There you go. Got to learn somehow. Yep. Eventually, he and his dad saw things differently, and John went out on his own. After working for another lab, John opened up his own business called Unique Solutions Dental Lab. But John has learned valuable lessons over the years and shares with us how we are doing a disservice to the new technicians coming into the industry by not giving them positive reinforcement and allowing them to love their job. I love my job. 
I do too. I love your job. Thank you. Just kidding. It's a great conversation about respect and leaving behind a better industry than before. So join us as we chat with John Reno. Whether you're looking to elevate your craftsmanship or looking to cut back on cost, look no further. Vita MFT teeth are the ultimate solution for creating lifelike and stunning smiles. Crafted with precision and backed by cutting edge technology, Vita MFT teeth offer unparalleled aesthetics and durability. And since Vita believes in the power of experiencing excellence firsthand, for a limited time only, they are offering you the chance to get a complimentary case sample. That's right, a full case absolutely free. Just visit VitaNorthAmerica.com forward slash free MFT. Don't wait any longer to start providing your customers a premium tooth at an economy price. Redeem your free case sample and if you're ready to buy, Vita will even give you an extra 10% off discount by shopping online on their newly launched online store. Join the Vita family today, and we appreciate your support of the podcast. Hey, it's Candular from Switzerland. We have been designing teeth since 1936. Successful tooth design knows only one benchmark, your own standards and dose of your patients. Discover our Toothline PhysioSet TCR with new 18 anterior molds, manufactured specially for the US market and your daily work at your bench. If you are looking for new options in removable, get to know us at candular.com and find out more. You will be supported and supplied by our authorized dealer, Edmunds Dental Supply. Candular. High end only. Voices from the bench. The interview. We'd like to welcome to the podcast today a gentleman that I, I believe it was Bobby Kenny that reached out to me and said, You got quite the story to tell. John Rano, how are you, sir? Good. How are you, Elvis? Doing fantastic. Where are you at? You went to, you in Florida where Bobby used to be? Yes, I'm over in uh, Boynton Beach. Where is that in Florida? I'm not familiar. It's about an hour or so away from Miami, so a little hour north uh, between okay. West Palm. Okay, sure. Yeah. I just opened up my laboratory June of last year. That's awesome. It was, it's been a dream of mine, but uh, I did, you know, started with my dad a long time ago. And I think I was about 15 years old. So your dad was a technician? Uh, all my life. I've uh, grown up in dental labs. So he owned a dental lab nice. yeah. in the West Coast, so in Cape Coral. And he had about like a 30-man lab at one point. You know, I was just running around in diapers. <laughs> just, <laughs> just uh, you know, messing around, playing with putty and doing all sorts of stuff. And Was it one of those things that every day after school you had to go to the lab? Yeah, yeah, it was. Uh, every day after school, weekends, all kinds of things. I have uh, four other sisters, so you're one boy with four sisters. Yeah, oh, so wow. I have two. Yeah, I have two older sisters and uh, two younger sisters. But the three of us, before the other two were born, were just like going crazy in the lab, messing with people. Sure. And uh, I'm sure the the employees didn't like it back then, but um, uh, or maybe they did. But uh, yeah, we used to just mess around. I mean, he used to just, it's easy when, when you have kids in a lab because it's just so many cool things to mess around with. It is dangerous, but oh sure, uh, it's a risk he was willing to take. <laughs> um, What's the earliest thing you remember? The earliest thing I remember, uh, so my dad is a resident in the U.S. He was born in Argentina and he moved, Okay. you know, at 18 years old, he moved up to Canada and so forth. He was always a technician. And mm -hmm. I remember... I was probably, I don't know, maybe like five or six years old. And it was the start of his lab's name was Art Gentina Dental Lab. Okay. So, oh, kind of like Argentina? Yeah, it was an <laughs> interesting name. Interesting. They were a full service lab, but uh, he started in his garage. I remember walking into the garage and seeing him on the bench. And I'm saying, uh, did you cut those teeth out of people? <laughs> <laughs> because he had the pictures in his hands, I have no, you know, I have no understanding of sure. what 
what he's doing at that point in time. So, and he's like, no, but you know, you want to watch. And I was just like fascinated. Cause I was thinking my dad's cutting people's mouths off and you know, whatever a little kid's imagination goes to. And I'm sure he had a big flame going. Oh yeah. yeah. Sparked a young boy's interest. <laughs> I love, uh, love fire because of him, but yeah, he was, uh, originally in a, a removable tech, but, uh, he, became well-rounded with ceramics and uh, even orthodontic appliances as well. Where did he learn it? Did he learn it in Argentina? Yeah. So actually, I went to Argentina when I was, I think, 12 or 13, right? A year before I started uh, really actually working in the lab, like putting time in. Yeah. And I met his first boss, his first employer. And he was from the Netherlands, but he lived in Argentina. And he took my dad in as a delivery boy so back then oh wow yeah so back then they would basically have a bunch of packages and instead of having a car because you know that wasn't uh really available in that in the country to just have cars Mm -hmm. uh he'd have to wake up and get to the the train stop at like i want to say like five o'clock in the morning and he'd have to get off on each stop of the train and walk the packages out into the town to where the doctors are oh that's insane drop them off and then he'd have to come all the way back so, and he was maybe... He delivered by train. Yeah, and he was... Uh, and the crazy thing is he was like 11 or 10. <laughs> what could go wrong? Yeah, and I, I used to hear these stories and I used to think like, oh, you're, you're uh, over-exaggerating. And uh, no, I, I mean, I talked to I talked to his boss and he said, well, he really wanted to learn a job because he was uh, one of 10 brothers and sisters, only had their mom raising them. So they're like, they were in a bad spot. So every kid had to work and bring the money back home. Wow. So he said, well, you know, I want to know how, what you guys do here. So he said, well, listen, I need you to deliver my packages. I have nobody else to, but if you want to learn, make it back by five and I'll spend an hour with you each day. Well, back then he was getting back at around like seven o'clock at night, eight o'clock at night. Oh. So he was like, well, I have to wake up earlier. So he'd get to the stops and he dropped them outside the door before the practices were open. And he would get back and he's like, okay, sweep the floors. (laughs) And he's like, what? I wanted to learn. He's like, yeah, you're going to learn. We have to learn how to keep up with everything and and make sure that you can clean up after yourself. So he eventually started growing and whatever, you know, time goes on. Yeah. He started becoming, you know, doing like fire rims and stuff like that. So up until he was 18, he started doing setups. He was doing PFMs. He was, he was doing everything. Wow. And he was making, uh, he was making good money back then. Yeah. And he ended up having to leave because of back then they were doing, what would you call that? Like a draft. Oh yeah. Uh, for like military. a military. Yeah. And yeah, they were forcefully drafting everyone that was 18 and able-bodied. So he left, he got on a plane and left when he, when he became 18 with his little brother and, you know, went to Canada. Yeah. Good old Canada. So everybody goes when they want to avoid. <laughs> yeah, good, good old Canada. Eh? <laughs> but yeah, so years go by and, and he meets my mom and you know things happen and they, they there's me right and my yeah. other sisters he just said like you know i have a family and you know not really technology but procedures were getting a uh a, a lot more advanced uh you were starting to see all on fours one in a while like the brennamark system and stuff like oh, that sure and he was like the early early days yeah and he was jumping in on them and doing you know, doing one there, one there and starting to do kind of like conversions. But back then it wasn't really, they would take it back to the lab, they process it. So he was like big into the chair side. So he said, well, a lot of the labs around town that he was working, that he started working for, they really wanted him to stay in the lab and be like a bench technician. And, you know, he has a family uh, and he, he wanted to make a better life for his family as Mm -hmm. well. And he just always dreamt of opening his own lab. So he just one day quit, not, not one day, but he gave us two weeks, you Yeah, know? but you know how that, that can go. Yeah. yeah, Sure. Uh, if you give you two weeks and tell, tell somebody that you're opening your own business, it can be the, your final day. Yeah. <laughs> That's funny that someone just told me about that like yesterday. <laughs> yeah. And uh, that happened. We'll get into that, but uh, that happened to me too. But, uh, yeah. Good intentions, but I obviously as a business owner, I understand that there's a not inse- not really a level of insecurity there. Just like it, it's just like a, your initial reaction is like, no, let's stop it here because I don't want to lose my accounts to this person, whatever it is. But he started yeah, in his yeah. in his garage and did removables, stuff like that. So that's how I became 
a part of this uh this whole thing and you know he grew it and he had like a freestanding building he had like about five thousand six thousand square foot facility they were doing conversions by like i want to say like 1999 or early 2000s he was doing really? a couple direct to implant and uh then it really started picking up and like in 2008 it was like they were doing a lot of like cast bars and stuff some crazy stuff like uh for immediate load which today would be like oh my gosh why are we doing so much work for this yeah <laughs> we all remember casting bars man Whew. yeah it's like that turning point in every uh profession where there's a push to do something so people are just going to try whatever they think could change the game sure and like like right now is like photogrammetry and like there's other things out there that we never thought would come of it so he was doing that and he was working on a facility with a with a doctor uh to create like a a same day teeth facility that this Mm -hmm. was 2008 or 2009 uh well you know that doctor ended up passing uh the night before the deal was supposed to be signed so i mean he died fell back yeah, he died. He died in his oh, sleep. Oh, jeez. Yeah. yeah, and he had a he had fronted a you know he was supposed to come in and front a majority stake in the company, and in the the land to build it. It was I think it I think my dad still has the blueprint of it to this day. But it was like yeah. a, uh, like a mega facility, like eleven twelve thousand square foot. Top floor was the lab, and the bottom floor was the dentist office. Yeah, the clinical like part, rooms, yeah. everything like that. Nice. Yeah, the clinical part. And he backed out of the, well, didn't back out of it. He died. <laughs> so uh, everything kind of like jumped into my dad's lap. By that time, I don't know how 2008 affected you, but 2008 was pretty rough year for everybody. So he ended up having to basically shut his operations down because he lost so much money on the deal. Oh, so he even lost his lab that was his own. Yeah. Wow. Yeah, he lost it all. So... What he did is uh, one of the technicians, and I'm still very close with him, he had all his equipment. He gave all his equipment to this guy and said, you know, listen, hire all these people, take my accounts, but he's, I can no longer stabilize the lab. But I think you can, you know, hire who you can, and let's try to keep these people employed. And so then my dad basically had to, you know, bankruptcy, all this stuff, mm. and which is well known. Like, this isn't like some secret. No, sure. Anybody that knows him kind of knows. So that, that guy's actually, he's still in business and, and I actually went down and saw him. I, I seen some of the people that, uh, saw me as a baby oh, that are still wow. working for him, which is nice yeah, to see. So, sure. and he's doing well. So my dad, we, we all moved to Canada and he got a, a great job opportunity in Canada. We had family in Canada from his side and, uh, you know, he was working there and working with a denturist there, which is interesting because Canada is so much different in terms of like removable dentistry, like with the denturist and, mm-hmm. um, and like how they can just see patients and stuff like that. Yeah, so, yeah. So with that, he got a lot of opportunities to really be chair side, like all the time chair side. And he got very comfortable with it and he really liked it. So we ended up moving down and, and he became a lab manager at clear choice and Tyson's corner. Okay. And yeah. he was, he was doing all the all on four work, all that stuff. So he was basically kind of like coming back down and, working his way back down to Florida. So, you know, after a couple of years of that, he started coming back down. We went back down to Florida and he started back in his garage and I was 14, 15. So he said, well, you've always liked this. You know, he calls me Johnny. That's, that's a lot of my friends and family say. And he said, if you want to, he's like, you can learn, but you're going to have to work. And every day after school, you're going to have to work and help me because I can't, you know, I cannot handle all of this workload. And if you want to help me grow, you can be a part of it, whatever it is. So, I did that, you know, every day after school, I was investing, hand packing cases, <laughs> boiling them out. Yeah. I was uh, some 14, 15 year old kid doing that, listening to music and just kind of, you know, going through the motions. And I really liked that part, the dirty, I did love the dirty work. I liked making models. I liked articulating. I get it. Yeah. But uh, my thing was, is I love to watch him set teeth and wax. And I was like, man, if I could learn that. Like, I feel like I'd just be like, I, I would be so much more value to him and, you know, to his his lab and that he's creating. Was he the only one setting teeth at this time? Yeah, we were in the garage. Like, this was our house that we were renting. And the, the landlord was nice enough to let him open up a small lab in the garage. So he had like a bench and all the denture teeth and all stuff. So he was just doing like two-day denture, same-day denture sometimes. And uh, it got to a point where it was so busy that he finally was able to 
uh, open up his location in Orlando again. So with all that time going by, I'm learning all this stuff. And then, Mm -hmm. you know, digital started getting really crazy. And you know, you had like ExoCAD was starting to get pretty popular. Three Shape was already there. Yep. And Nobel Procera was like the big thing with the bind the scanner and the, the whole scan body kit. So he bought the Procera and one day and we were like maybe a month in two months in into moving in, into a freestanding laboratory and he goes you need to figure this out because i don't know what the hell i'm doing here <laughs> and uh what was that scanner called i can't remember the procera the nobel but procera wasn't, scanner. didn't the scanner have a different name uh, maybe not no i think it was the procera yeah and yeah. uh i know that there was another one that came out later with nobel design but i we never really got into into sure. the Nobel design software, which I think is just a one-off from ExoCAD. But yeah, so, you know, he just drops this on me. I don't know anything about abutments. I don't know anything about designing, but I was a gamer and I was uh, pretty fluent with technology. Yeah. So he was like, well, you would be better off doing this than I would. So it started there. And we ended up after, you know, establishing some of the design department, we started getting ExoCAD. We started getting mills down the road uh, and then you know, I think we got into like metal milling and stuff like that when I was around like maybe 19, 20. It started growing exponentially and we started doing um, a lot of fully digital stuff back then too, like where it was modelist arches and the stackable guides. We did a lot of that stuff. So you were milling what? Bars? We were milling bars, abutments, full arch wow. zirconia. Out of a garage? No, no, no. So when we moved to the freestanding building, when we got Procera, we started, oh, we got into right. like yeah, a 12, yeah, yeah. yeah, we got into like a 1200 square foot place and we just grew it out. I mean, we got really busy and stuff. So yeah, we were milling all kinds of stuff. Then, you know, guided surgery came along and we were using a lot of code agnostics and we started doing, you know, we were doing a lot of conversions at that point. So let me bring you back to kind of when we started doing a lot of chair side stuff. When I was 18 on my 18th birthday, he had scheduled two emergency conversions. One my dad had to go to and one I've, I've never done, but I've watched you know, probably 20, 30 of them. He sent me on my 18th birthday with, I don't know if you know who Dr. Sandeep Ruwal is, but uh, uh-uh. he was a bigger dentist. Uh, he was a Nobel lecturer okay. in Florida, but he sent me with him. So I did my first all on four conversion on zygomatic, like a quad zygomatic case. Wait a minute. Your first one? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And Without I walked ever in. like, like doing it with your dad or anything? No. I only watched and it was an, it was a situation where I had to, we had to do it. It was a patient that couldn't be moved and, and they were basically, they were scheduled in an OR. They was in a hospital too, on top of it. Yeah. Yeah. On top of it being very, uh, very nerve wracking as the first one, I had to scrub in to be in the facility. And I'm like, I'm like sweating through my clothes. Like I'm, I'm very, I'm very nervous, but, uh, I was with Sundeep. Sundeep has done conversions. So he was there to coach me through it if I needed help. Yeah, yeah. When you're with a good surgeon, they can be a huge help. I mean, working with of the course. right doctor. Yeah, and he was. I'm sure other people know him. He's very well known. But Sunday Brawl, I mean, shout out to him for teaching me a lot of the things that I have learned uh, clinically because he didn't hold back ever. He always told me, you know, through the clinical side and the lab side and uh, he always told me when I was wrong, which was I respected. I didn't like it all the time, but it's a learning, you know, it's something that you need to do to be able to further your education. Um, I did the case and I was scared throughout the whole way, but it heated. <laughs> Everything was good. I, was, I would have sweat man. 40 pounds, man. Yeah. Thinking about it now still makes me nervous. Yeah. I bet. And just because of like, I'll never forget the day because it was my birthday too. I'm like, man, I don't even want to work today. I want to like <laughs> relax. And then I got this thing. And, uh, so after I did that, I got, I thought like, you know, Oh man, I don't know if they're going to like it, whatever it is. But they ended up calling my dad and they were like, uh, can we use your son for the next one? And I oh, was like, really? Uh, yeah. Yeah. I was like, there's no way I did like a good enough job to where they want to ask back and very well the next one i was able to do it and and from there on i was doing i want to say over 150 arches a year wow and i was out i mean i ended up taking away a lot of the conversions from my dad so he could stay into the lab and build it so i was traveling to like tampa i even uh, flew up to georgia for a couple of them like i was out all week uh, up until probably about 23 22 years old so I had a lot of experience through those years uh, from 18 to 22. Let me ask you something. 
Yeah. How do you travel with a conversion kit? <laughs> How do you get that through security? <laughs> I've always wondered that with people that travel. So a lot of it is driving. So, oh, but okay. for flying, you can ship it. No, they'll just buy a kit. Oh, I see. And yeah. we'll set them up and they'll just keep it in their office. Yeah, flying is crazy. I mean, I have a couple of stories where like flying back with like titanium bars that are still in the puck and going through customs like on a carry on. And they're like, what? is this this doesn't make any sense is this like is this a weapon and i'm like no this is actually on the way back from chicago i got a couple bars milled from a company and i brought them back and i forgot to not keep them in my carry-on and they they stopped me and it was we missed our flight it was it was pretty fun oh really wow yeah to that that's foreign they're like this looks like it belongs to an alien i'm like my gosh no yeah (laughs) please don't say that right now (laughs) but yeah i had a lot of that experience but unfortunately we ended up not seeing eye to eye when I was about 23 years old. Who, you and your dad? Yeah, me and my dad didn't end up seeing eye to eye. We had different visions, different paths that we wanted to take. Yeah. And, you know, we kind of, you know, I kind of agreed, like, if you want to go this way, it's fine. And because my dad's an older, an older guy now, he's, he's 63, but back then he was, he was turning 60 and mm-hmm. I was saying like, you know, you're going to be retiring soon. And I think we should really start working towards you know, how we're going to, you know, how am I going to take it over? Cause yeah, mainly transition. by then yeah. I was lab manager and I was moving cases through. I was, I was training people, onboarding people. And I was like, I have all that down and I have managers in the positions that they need to be in. But uh long term, we need to talk about this because if we're unprepared, that's where you see a lot of businesses collapse. You have to have a 100%. plan, like an exit strategy. And, and he didn't really believe in that too much. And he kind of took it a little personal, which is fine. Mm -hmm. I mean, I love my dad, but you know, I ended up giving him the time that he needed to get some other people. Um, and I've met you before, uh, at Peterson. So, Oh, you were there when I was there? Yes. Yeah. Um, but I was a quiet, I was quiet, but, um, (laughs) (laughs) I kind of kept to myself, but Chris and I met in FDLA back when I was like 21 and I really enjoyed Chris's mindset and how he was like a, you know, he was a younger uh, owner and, you know, it was passed down from his family, but he didn't want to cross that boundary. He's like, I understand because I worked with my dad, my dad passed it down to me and I would never want to overstep, you know, but I want to say like, if it doesn't work out and you've tried your best give me a call. So I did, you know, I tried my best, you know, we worked things out and it was mutual when I left and mm-hmm. I ended up going to see Chris down in Delray. And, uh, he ended up hiring me as the director of digital manufacturing. Wow. And I brought in a few things into, into the lab there, uh, like ExoCAD and some, uh, guided surgery procedures and, and just kind of, um, uh, kind of cleaning up the processes to make them a little more streamlined. Yeah. Uh, mostly on digital side. And, uh, you know, I learned a lot from them as well. But I think I remember that day you came. Uh, uh, you were with Preet, no? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, and you had those funny memes. So <laughs> I didn't know too much about you. <laughs> I didn't know too much about you, but I was sitting in the back corner and I was just like, a lot of people were engaged and stuff like that. But I was just thinking of this. And I was like, nobody has what you have in dentistry there's a lot with other corporations or a lot of other uh social media accounts for other professions but like for you you're like the one guy that does it and you're known for it and it's nice because it's positive and it it makes it fun to see the things like the memes that you make or even just like this podcast for example i think this is a really good idea because you know you see like i don't know if you're into like comedian podcasts or like like oh yeah stuff like that yeah yeah Yeah, like those are amazing right and i'm like man what if somebody had that for dentistry because it's never been heard of for for us really other than like small ones in the lab maybe but for you you'd connect with people from all sorts of labs clinicians too and i was like what this is really cool and you still get to work your nine to five job if you want to like you were working with preet and they let you do it, and and it's because it, you have a a good heart behind it. So I don't know. I was I was impressed with it because it was cool. It was no, really I appreciate cool, that. Uh, to, to yeah, see it. yeah. There's a lot of dentist podcasts out there. I mean, a lot of them geared towards dentists. Yeah. And there's been a couple labs that have started podcasts in the past, but they always gear it towards dentists and trying to like get business. And I get that. I mean, what a good way 
to attract work. But I wanted to make something that was by labs for labs, you know? That's really the whole idea behind it. Yeah, and I agree with you 100% that, you know, as far as, like, as a lab owner, podcast geared towards dentists have an effect, but it's not as big as a, of an effect as if you have this type of podcast, for example. There's other ways to market your lab to obtain dentists and, and new accounts, but the main problem we all have is acquiring technicians and having podcasts like this and having technicians listening to it and how different labs across the country structure their lab or how they have their workflow around cases or just, you know, hearing the owner talk in a relaxed setting can either give them a good or a bad judgment on the, on the person and say like, Hey, maybe like this, maybe this is a lab that I'd, I'd like to work for. Maybe, Oh, I'm glad I, I don't want to say it, but like, I'm glad I didn't. You know, because no, I that's kind of true. Out, like Very their true. paths are, yeah, exactly. Like maybe they're not aligned with with my morals or what I want to do with with my career because it it does it exposes you good or bad in these kinds of settings uh, as it yeah. does for everybody else in podcasts. I worked right with Chris and and um, it was uh, it was a very good experience because it opened my mind because I'm a typical, uh, you know, my dad owned a lab. I was gonna take it over, but then it. In, along that process, I didn't. And I think that it was a really good thing that it didn't because I was able to open my mind again to other laboratories and how they run their operations. Mm-hmm. And also another family owned operation to see, you know, is some of the stuff that I went through normal Yeah, uh, in other family laboratories because you think, well, because your family, there's a lot of headbutting uh, usually. And uh, there's not a lot of professionalism between the family members most of the time. And like, you know, I saw that you can be professional with with Peterson because they did a really good job with that. But then I also saw like the same thing that I had with my dad is like you have and just in general, I have this page with my dad and we're on the same page. But then the rest of the employees aren't on the same page as us because we fail to share that with them and whether it's oh like you get what i'm i I don't know how to i don't know how to explain that better no Uh, it's perfect yeah like we're here we're together we understand each other but the rest of the employees don't understand us because we are not vocal about what we want with them and that happens a lot and i think in family-owned businesses in not just in dental but in just businesses in general because you have that connection with your family member that you don't yeah naturally share with other people And that gets passed down generationally. So yeah, of course, like laboratories that were generational, they set the footprint for the future and, you know, where dentistry is going or where dental laboratories are going and technology is going. It's great, but it's still very biased and there's not a lot of open-mindedness. So there's like traits that are passed down. Mm -hmm. And uh, obviously I am not a very established businessman that's been in business for a long time, but I know that the breakup between the... you know, passing along, taking the family torch and continuing that breakup and going somewhere else. I've learned so much about people and environment, work environment than I would have ever had if I just stayed with my dad because I'd be so closed off from it and uh, maybe understand and appreciate people and respect people in a different way, if that makes sense. No, it does. And it's amazing. And it's something that not everyone gets a chance to learn, you know. And I, I can't imagine what you've learned in that transition that's allowed you to be a better business owner today. Yeah. And I mean, some of the stuff is basic, but there's a lot of, well, let's put it this way. I'm, so I'm 26 and I, I'm very digital with my te- with mm-hmm. my technical skills. But in the process, I was lucky enough to have a dad that taught me hands-on from the beginning first. So I understand the touch, the feel, the dexterity. I have the dexterity to do things, set teeth. I can do por- I can apply porcelain, all those things I, I can do, you know, which is a great foundation, uh, foundational skill. But there is also another great skill that a lot of younger technicians have, which is being a designer or a camming person, you know, yeah. whether they're running machinery or they're designing digitally. And a lot of the times is like, the, the older generation, it, 
doesn't have the same or value the same respect for that skill as if you're a hands-on tech. And I see that a lot. I, I see it even as a business owner, I still see it when I interview people that there's a lack of respect and I get that lack of respect too, even as being the owner, which is in my opinion is not true at all because the way that the uh, business is going, everything's going to be digitally made. I mean, for the most part, everything is, I, yeah. I, at least for my lab, I don't have a model department in my lab. Everything is digital and majority of it is modelless. If we, if we print models, it's for a specific case, but like all my full arch cases are, are modelless. So that's a specific set of skills and it takes a special person to really truly understand the processes in digital dentistry. It's getting more common. People are understanding it more, but Mm -hmm. to truly understand it, it's, it's a skill of its own. And, and I don't know, I just, uh, in my experiences I've seen, and that's helped me in uh, be a, I think a better business owner and a better leader is if when you're hiring a younger person and they're a CAD cam technician and you have a hands-on technician, whether they're, they have more experience, 10, 15, 20 years of experience, hands-on there can, there can't be too much of a devalue the younger person because they haven't done the hands-on or I don't know. To, I don't know. I'm, I'm no, I think it makes sense. Tongue, but no, you're fine. I, I think yeah. we have to utilize these new wave of technicians where analog is understood, but it's not taught. Yeah. And I guess the other thing is like, I think in a way we have to empower the younger generation for what they do and give them the confidence that they need to continue to want to grow their skill or to uh, learn another skill in the lab, whether it's hands-on because when talk down on something or tell them, Hey, you don't, you don't understand. You only do it on the computer, which I hear that constantly. And and it's, Mm. it's really, you know, it's a messed up thing to say to somebody that's learning exactly what you did, you, you know, your entire career, but on a computer screen, it's the same thing. It's just a different process. And it's still respectable as respectable as the older technician or the technician that's hands-on. They're at equal, I think, at equal respect that they deserve. But uh, I guess maybe because technology has been so new to a lot of people that they don't understand it. So they kind of, they devalue it. Or in general, what I'm trying to say is a lot of technicians that are younger uh, don't have the confidence to continue to learn. And what I've seen firsthand is a lot of technicians that are younger that were doing good, that were like, I saw a value where they were going to just skyrocket. They were eventually going to get very good and be very advanced in what they were doing and make a good living for themselves or even become a leader, a manager, or even an owner. But they lose that confidence along the way. And I've seen a lot of them just completely change careers or go work from home and lose the motivation to do what they were doing because if I'm going to work, you know, and the attitude is if I'm going to work in a place where they don't value my knowledge, or if I'm not good enough because I do this skill, then why am I here? And obviously there's counter argument to that too, but that's where I see a lot of it. I've seen, I've seen about three or four people just completely change career paths because of this. Who's discouraging them? Other people in the lab? Yeah. And it's happening with my dad, right? He has firsthandedly discouraged. I've just dis- in the beginning have discouraged some other people too. And, and I've learned from it. Mm-hmm. And, but it's, it's more of like you have, you have two different employees in a lab. And I think is the ones that are the, the, the elder employees or like the people that have the most knowledge or the most experience in a certain skill. Sure. Let's say any skill that there is in the lab and they're going to QC a case or they receive a case from a technician, the digital technician that designed it and they milled it and they got it in their hand. Yep. And it's all subjectivity. Most of the time it's subjectivity in the lab. 100%. This yep. abutment isn't designed in this way. You know, it, it's not right. It's not correct. And there's like stuck in their ways where it's like, this is not correct. Well, not necessarily. It's not correct. It's, it's functional. It's passable and it works. Now, if you want it to change, you have to come at it like not in a way of was like, oh, they don't know what they're doing. Like this is wrong. Yeah. It's not wrong. And that's, and I guess it's like the terminology and I think it gets passed down in a, in a way from the top, like me, for example, like 
it, for me, if, if I react to my manager, that's, let's say, has been a technician for 30 years, and they say, well, this abutment was designed this way, and I go, that's completely wrong, or that's not good. It's the, the terminology that we use, I think, is, is from the top is kind of not helping. And obviously, there's just people mm-hmm. that are just going to talk like that no matter what. But in a way, it's like, well, I understand what you did here, but our standard for the lab is this way. Can we do it this way? Or if you think that this is better, let's have a discussion about it. And maybe we're wrong. Maybe this is a better way to do it. Or maybe it saves time in the design. As long as it's functional, it's going to seat and it's not going to come back for a remake. It's, you know, in my opinion, is adequate as long as the quality of work is maintained. No, I mean, it's a great point. Yeah. Anytime you want to encourage anybody to do anything, the last thing you want to do is tell them they're wrong. You want to be able to, you know, utilize what they've done, encourage betterness without discouraging, you know, God, even I have a hard time explaining it, but I totally understand where you're coming from. Elvis, in my mind, I have the exact explanation, but as soon as I try to explain it, it's so difficult to say it. But yeah, I'm glad you understand. I'm sure a lot of people will will understand what I'm saying too. Yeah. I think it's detrimental to the future of the technician to positively reinforce, even if they're wrong, positively reinforce them. So understand why they did it that way first. Become aware, self-aware. Be, put yourself mm-hmm. in their shoes and be like, oh, okay, I understand why you do that. You Maybe you came from a different lab. And they have a different way of designing. And we didn't tell you that. Or we didn't give you the procedure, or the uh, work instructions to do so for that. Or maybe they were left out. Maybe that needs to be added in. Instead of going right to the shit, I mean, excuse my French, the talking in the lab. No, where it's yeah. like, oh, yeah, yeah. they don't know what they're doing. They, immediately, they don't know what they're doing. I don't know why we hired them. I hear that all the time behind their back. And you know what that does for everybody else around them? It gives them a negative eye yeah. against that person. And, and then it discouraged. Then that person immediately, their confidence is like dropped immediately. And uh, I don't think it's fair. Yeah, and why would they want to work there <laughs> at that point? I mean. Yeah, and it's, and it's honestly in, in the same way where I say like the positive reinforcement comes from the top. So if you positively reinforce your managers, it trickles down for the most part. Unless you got some mad person or you know just a a person where they have a bad temperament maybe they're not good for the position but when you have positive reinforcement trickling down from the top it usually continues all the way down yeah and you start to get a positive work environment now the same thing can be said the people up top can be unaware depending on the size of the lab can be unaware that this is happening and then when let's say that technician finally comes up to the owner or the owner is finally made aware it's too late and they can't change their mind Mm-hmm. You know, and that can also affect. So depending on the size and and that taught me as well, like we're a small operation still, but it's teaching me make your hires very carefully in the beginning. And I think hiring from the top down helps a lot, too. So yeah. instilling management in the beginning before you have all these employees and then you bump an employee up to management because you really need to reinforce the positivity from the management group that you start with first. And then those managers can hire in your technicians. That's how I believe. That's what I gained from my experience. And obviously I'm learning every day. I have so much time to learn so much more information, but I was lucky enough to be able to experience both sides. And I got a lot of great things from Peterson and I respect them wholeheartedly. And I, I, Oh, sure. Yeah. I still talk to them today. My lab's not too far from them. You know, I learned what they did right. And I, something that I would always keep in the back of my mind whenever I'm making a decision. And then I also know, you know, the environment on my dad's lab and, and their lab, like what's the negatives. And I want to make sure that I keep that in my head too, when I'm making decisions that I'm not making the same decision that caused that. And I think that goes for everybody. Just like when you're learning a new skill, it's like, I did that wrong. Don't do it again. You know? And I, yeah. kinda, in business, I feel like I've learned from other people what, they did right and what they did wrong. And I want to make sure I don't do the same thing. Or if they did well, I want to do the same thing. You know what I also see in labs a lot is while they don't do negative feedback, they do no feedback. And you have a technician that just keeps doing whatever they want to do. It could be right, but it's not up to standard. And then then the next person is constantly correcting it. This is true. That's not good either. Yeah. (laughs) 
Yeah, I see that all the time. That's a great point. The thing is, in a way, and I, and I think that part of this is the scarcity of technicians, is as we are afraid to give the positive feedback, right? Which I'll mm-hmm. get into that. But the negative feedback, it's almost because they're scared of losing people because it's hard to get technicians. Sure. It's, it's hard to find technicians nowadays, especially digital technicians and, you know, full arch technicians, if that's what your lab is. A lot of technicians can be trained. Like, I mean, I worked with Allie and Allie does a great job. She's offering like a great thing that, and I know she's been on your podcast a couple of times. Yeah. Allie Williamson. Sure. Yeah. They're great. Like they, I learned a lot from her and I learned a lot from Mark as well. Yeah. I mean, just like the perspective that Mark and her have in the lab, I don't know. It changed me completely in a way. Like it made me just a appreciate them in another level mm-hmm, sure but yeah you know like just the negative feedback because you don't want that technician to leave because you know how hard it was to get them there and train them and invest all this time so you know a lot of the times a lot of labs will have write-up policies and action plans if they're you know under producing or they have an attitude or they're just being unprofessional and it's all there it's all on paper but the manager's very scared to pick up that paper and fill it out yeah. Because they don't want to be the reason why you lose a technician. And then all your other technicians now have to take on that workload. But I think a lot of the main cause of that has to do with the positive reinforcement. Because I have a lot of technician friends, and I'm sure you do. And, and there's, like you said, the the lack of positive reinforcement. Or if you did a good job, you know, there's none of that. There's no... It's uh, a thankless job. Yeah, sure. yeah it's a, exactly. It's a thankless job. And you know, in a way we don't do it for the pat on the back, but the pat on the back, sometimes it feels good, you know, because, uh, it's, we do this for more than just money. Uh, most of us. And I would like to say, because we, we do it for inevitably to serve the clinician and also to serve the patient, to better serve the patient and hundred percent to be able to make sure that the, the patient is as comfortable as they can in the transition to getting their new teeth, because those teeth are not natural it's going to be a process of rehabilitation for that patient. So the less steps, the less appointments, the more comfortable the, the prosthesis is, the happier the patient, the happier the technician, in my opinion, or the happier the lab. And we need to understand that we're doing a good job. We don't always need to hear that we're not a good enough technician or we're, we don't know what we're doing or you're not paying attention, you know, yeah, obviously yeah, yeah. we all need to read lab scripts because we all apparently sometimes forget, but <laughs> I think that's just like a passed down trait of lab technicians. But yeah, I, I just think, like you said, the, the positive reinforcement is a really big deal in any sort of professional profession, but especially in the lab, because we, we just lack, it. we just don't have a good, we never really have a, a good structure. There's not a lot of schools to be able to teach you about the laboratory business. There's, there's not really anything like that out there. Oh, no. Um, and which is un- unfortunate, but I think that we could get to that point as lab owners, I think is our duty to positively reinforce everybody that comes through, especially the younger generation, because what happens when you retire or what happens when you're, when you're done and it's your time to step out of the world. And I mean, and, uh, for the most part, for me, at least I want to be able to leave the world knowing I gave as much information to the next person to continue to better, That's awesome. to continue to better the, uh, the patients and better the, the dental profession that we're in. And I think a lot of people want it. I feel like a lot of people don't realize the damage that maybe they're doing maybe because they're just not aware that that's what's causing it. But we're in a generation where, I mean, you hear it all the time. We're lazy. We don't want to work that hard and we want to get maximum reward. Mm -hmm. But in a way I see it as take advantage of the fact that they don't want to work as hard and they want a bigger reward. If you can empower somebody and get them to latch onto a skill and really enjoy their job, they're going to find out a way to do less work for more. And that's going to benefit your laboratory tenfold because they're going to come up with processes that are going to cut down patient appointments that are going to cut down the time that the case is in the lab because they don't want to work on it. That's my idea of it. That's how I think. Yeah. I'm constantly trying to figure out how can I get this case out of my lab quicker every time? (laughs) And how can I cut down an appointment so the case is delivered and I don't have to deal with it anymore? Because I want to just, I want to move on to the next thing. I don't want to cut corners. I just want to find a better process. And I think there's a lot of us out there 
but we're kind of like pushed under a rug if you if sure. you may you know and i don't think we they have time to really like bloom in a way and show their true colors that they do want to do better it's just a different mindset you know because I came from my dad being uh, from South America, hard worker, woke up at four o'clock, got on the train, delivered cases, then had to learn a skill after 10 yeah, hours yeah, yeah. of work as a kid. And like, yeah, they had to do that. They had to work because back, you know, in that time is like time means more money in a, in a way. And, and I understand that you have to do that. But honestly, if I don't have to do that, I don't want to do it. You know, no, just like anybody nowadays, nobody really wants to have to put in. Too much time. Now, as an owner, I mean, I'm here all the time, but <laughs> you're a lab uh, owner. as far as employees, you know, but this is, yeah, I'm a lab owner. I mean, I'm, I don't think I've missed a day in the last hmm. 10 months. You know, uh, I've been in here every day of the week, but that's because it's my baby, you know, and, but if you're an employee of a place, you should be able to work within those hours, you know, that were agreed upon and, and be able to set that up. Now, obviously there's going to be times where there's mistakes and you have to stay late if you messed up, but like sure. the less time that we have employees in the building and the more work that we produce is better for everybody. So in my, in my opinion, what's the name of your lab? I don't even think you mentioned that. Yeah. It's unique solutions dental lab. Yeah. Sorry. We just kind of jumped right into a big thing here, but yeah, no, it's, it's good stuff, but I, I can't imagine how great of a environment you have at your lab honestly i mean how many employees do you have i have two okay so we're very small yeah yeah i have two but uh i'm planning on growing it but my whole motto is less is more uh, like we were just talking about we produce uh quite a bit of stuff so we produce about 38 arches 48 arches a month wow uh full arch cases and we're doing about i want to say like 40 or 50 screw retain units a month and then we have dentures we're full service but everything's done digitally so nothing is processed nothing's traditional and no like again i'm pretty proud on the the no model room yeah (laughs) just i I don't like the model room at all i really don't ever want to pour models again or have people do it i'd rather just hire new people in and just get them into like camming or 3d printing Uh, from a hiring standpoint it's just it's prettier oh it's easier to 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 be able to bring in because people want to 3d print i mean you see it on tiktok you see it on everything like people just love watching 3d print videos and that's a real good way of getting an entry-level technician in and focused into the lab Oh, it's definitely more attractive than a model room yeah <laughs> that's right attractive yeah think of the word so that's kind of like my motto here uh now obviously you run into everyone's question is like but the doctors what if they don't do that and or like how do you onboard a doctor to be able to, to give you the correct records and to sure follow, yeah to follow the right scanning protocol what if they don't have a scanner you know, I've created every single scanning procedure you could think of for any type of case to where there's pictures. It's a whole work instruction for everything. So when the doctor comes on board, they get everything. They get all the packets uh, on how to scan every case and they're laminated uh, so that way they can put it on their walls if they want to. Wow. So they're, it's really like plug and play when they have a scanner. Now, when they don't have a scanner, that's where we're pretty new. So I've gone ahead and I've ordered scanners so we can loan them out to people and have chair side technicians come in and scan for them if they need to. What scanner did you get? So I used to be Medit, but I'm starting to see that Itero is pretty good. Really? And Trios, yeah. Yeah. Trios and Itero are very good. So I went ahead with the Trios, but um mm-hmm. itero is very good i just the one thing is like it's hard to set it up to where it goes directly to you to the lab sure. uh so yeah, it has yeah. to go through like a model building process but i know that i'm sure if i ask pretty please can we just skip it they would but it's really hard to get a hold of people that are able to do that in there so yeah, i yeah. went with with trios and it just goes right to the inbox i mean it trios is very simple to use they have the 360 denture scan and everything like that so it's, it's yeah very yeah no cool. i love the trios um, yeah and then we haven't pulled the trigger yet, but photogrammetry is going to be another thing that we're going to be mm-hmm. buying. But right now, I mean, we're doing, we're very successful with doing these full arches modelists without photogrammetry. Yeah, I've heard this. Yeah. Yeah. We have this, uh, this digital jig, but it's a little different than what you've seen online, but we do this digital jig and do some digital alter casting with it. And it's very accurate to the point, most of the time we're not even moving them. You know, we're not even alter casting digitally. It's like right on the money and uh, we're doing no tie bases in our zirconia. Uh, so we're really getting a seamless fit. So what are you doing? Scan bodies, scan that? 
Yeah, we're doing scan bodies. We're scanning the scan bodies, the opposing, and then depending on if they have a temporary or not, then we're using that as the bite for the vertical. And then if we don't, let's say they have a denture, we're utilizing like a 360 scan of the denture. Mm -hmm. Scan that, they get a try-in device or a printed try-in and the digital jig. The digital jig that we have, it has a like a pre-cut. So it's like, it's got like a pre-tear almost like, so if any, any kind of tension from a screw when they're screwing it down, it snaps. So it breaks oh. off those pieces. And when it breaks off the pieces, you can hear it, it clicks. And what they do is they, they pick it up in between with a, with a light cure resin uh, in between each one. So even if there's a microscopic flex to it, Mm-hmm. that resin is going to lock the flex into place. Uh, and the ones that are snapped or snapped, they're going to be in the right position. You take that and then we scan it in and we, we're able to digitally move our analogs tr- on our try-in or on our final, if we're going to go straight to final. So we're doing, along with that, that's a part of our process. You don't verify it on a model. I mean, you don't have a model, so you're able nope. to move, verify it on digital. That's fascinating to me. It's pretty cool. It's, it's very simple. And a majority of the time, like I said, we're not even moving them. Just in a way is like... Confirming. Yeah, but like proper training for the staff. So like the clinical staff, what we do is if they request a training date or an onboarding date, I right now for me, it's me going there. Mm-hmm. And we have two or three patients and we run a whole training session on how to scan cross arch full arch scan bodies the right way so that way there's no uh incorrect stitching making sure that the settings on the scanner are set correctly and then also how to identify problems if we need to rescan or if we need to cut here and we go into like real detail we like do like a full training session with our with our docs and i bet you they appreciate the hell out of it yeah yeah especially because it's it's a it's a free service right now that i'm providing for them because uh, I just think that it's necessary in any account that I get it. I think it's necessary to provide the training because every lab is different and you can't expect them to be accustomed to a brand new lab. If you've never trained them on your procedure. Yeah. Um, yeah. If you want to get what you want, you have to tell them what you want. <laughs> exactly. You show them how to get you what you want or you'll never get what you want. <laughs> exactly. And that's paired with like, so we do a lot of overnight and same day printed provisionals. So we're able to actually consistently now, they scan the patient after surgery. We deliver in 24 hours. So that's appointment one for the delivery of the temporary appointment two for, well, appointment it's three appointment for them. But the second time that they get something from us, which would be the try-in and the digital jig, Mm -hmm. that's another appointment. So one appointment after post-op four months, and then we're delivering zirconia on the third, and we haven't broke that yet. That's awesome. Now I'm sure we will. <laughs> yeah, but we're able to maintain three appointment deliveries. Yeah, that's but, fantastic. Uh, so it's been very consistent, and we're pretty happy of how it's gonna go. And I think that you know photogrammetry is just gonna aid us even more. But also, not every doctor in the U.S. means to spend fifty thousand dollars on a scanner. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, you know that they'll use maybe once a month. So. We want to be able to make sure that either way, the modelist workflow is available to all doctors, not just ones that have photogrammetry. Yeah. Um, that was the whole idea of it. John, I love it, man. You're doing some great things down there in Florida. Thank you. I think that's about it. I think we covered everything. Uh, yeah. And we covered that hour real quick. Wasn't even looking at the time. I was like, holy moly, we're done. So yeah. fantastic, John. That's awesome what you're doing down there. and. Thank you. Thanks for coming on to tell your story. I think it's really good. I think you have a good point on positive reinforcement. I don't think we've talked about it on the podcast since, so I think it's good stuff. Thank you. Yeah, and thank you for having me on. Ever since I saw you when you came with Preet to Peterson, I was just like, man, I would love to be on his podcast. I just I just love what you do. You know, it's just we're able to spread word to people that, uh, that need it, you know, yeah. and people that just want to listen to two people shoot the shit, you know <laughs> <laughs> that's the idea well i'm happy to shoot the shit with you john thank you so much all right thank you yeah we'll talk to you later have a good one all right you too bye a huge thank you to john for coming on our podcast i'm really sorry that i missed this conversation since i too worked for my dad for years and years and years 
It's amazing what you have learned over the years and that you are able to provide what seems to be a very positive work environment. But you are absolutely correct in the fact that we need not only get more technicians into our industry, but we need to keep the ones that do start and positively reinforce them. Simple encouragement sure is a great way to do it. You can tell as you grow your lab and bring on additional employees that they are going to be super successful and great technicians. And I'd love to see them grow. All right, everybody. That's all we got for you. And we will talk to you next week. See you in Chicago. Oh, last weekend. It was great to see you in Chicago. Give me my moment. See ya. (laughs) Bye. Yeah, you had a good time in Chicago. The views and opinions expressed on the Voices from the Bench podcast are those of the guest and do not necessarily reflect the official policy or position of the host or Voices from the Bench, LLC.